Today's thought is the third in a series looking at the eight parts of speech in the English language. Today we'll be focusing on specifically the role of adjectives. This podcast is a rough around the edges attempt at exploring my mind in hopes that it might inspire you to explore yours. My name is Fontaine, and this is Vox in Thought. Today I want to look at the adjective. Adjectives are the descriptive words that we often put before a noun. So it could be the red apple, the deep pool, a big dog, or it could be the smart girl, the rude man, or the Asian woman. One of my observations over the last few years is that it's getting increasingly difficult to communicate without running the risk of offending someone. In some ways, this is great because we are creating a world which is perhaps more socially nuanced. However, because communications are increasingly recorded and the entire world is our potential audience, it's worth giving more thought to how people might perceive us when we communicate even if it's in a casual situation. Now, we have some serious societal problems in front of us. Racial tension, geopolitical melodrama, global warming, gender conversations. And the only way we're going to be able to work through them is if we can communicate. Of all of the parts of speech episodes, this is the one that I've been most scared to write but it's also the one that got me onto the idea of writing this series in the first place. Now, I have no intention of offending people, but I definitely want us to talk about the tough areas of life. I mentioned tension in one episode on dancing and how I think we should move towards tension, even though it can feel unpleasant. So yeah, I wanna talk about the tough stuff, but I'm white, I'm affluent, I grew up in a comfortable environment, have a well-paying job, I'm decently attractive, so I'm scared that some may think that I'm not the right voice for the conversation. But I'm going to try in an effort to contribute constructively. Now, one of the most basic yet key patterns I've noticed is that adjectives trigger people. At dinner with friends a few months back, one girl was sharing a story from her work. She started it with, I had a call today with my Chinese colleague, Ming. Several folks around the table pointed out an interesting point. You know, the fact that he's Chinese has nothing to do with your story. You're unnecessarily drawing attention to that fact. Would you say that about your Australian colleagues as well? Maybe just call him your colleague, since that's what he is. It's just that he happens to be Chinese. Google's CFO is Ruth Porat. Last year on an earnings call, an analyst addressed a question to the lady CFO, and folks were pissed. She's a CFO. She just happens to be female. No one would ever make the statement to the male CFO, so drawing attention to her gender was unnecessary. I was trying to figure out why adjectives can be so triggering, and I have a hypothesis. I think it comes down to the fact that we often interpret the adjective to have a special meaning. 
as if the talker is trying to draw specific attention to that attribute. And this is confounded by the fact that in English, the adjective comes before the noun. So it has this extra meaning. I'm going to read out a list of adjectives and nouns, and I'll ask you to simply notice how you feel. An old man. A woman driver. A black guy. My Chinese neighbor. Her junkie boyfriend. That homeless guy. Beyond a simple descriptor, these adjectives convey a more significant, often negative sentiment because of what our language has evolved socially to convey. Recently, a friend shared an experience that she had a few years ago. As context, she is one of the most socially conscious people I know. She's compassionate and also passionate about social justice. Once, in a conversation with her old boyfriend, she mentioned her observations about how Aborigine people were mistreated in society. Aborigine? He exploded. How could you say that? How insensitive and crude do you have to be to use that word? He demanded. Wide-eyed and ashamed, she sat there confused. You see, the politically correct word, I believe, is Aboriginal, not Aborigine. Apparently, Aborigine is offensive, yet Aboriginal respectful. More than just another example, I want to point out the reaction the reaction to her unknown misstep. Her attempted respectful communication was met with a shameful rebuke from the person that she was closest to, but no compassion was available to her. No gentle instruction or education, just a verbal beating. Now, I have very mixed feelings about using shame as a tool in communication. Generally, I try to steer clear of it because I don't think it's a particularly effective way to get people to listen. Someone might hear you, but they probably won't actually change their behavior, or at least not for the right reasons. And there's something interesting about in-group, out-group dynamics at play when it comes to shame. So we can take an example, let's say, being shamed by someone who is from another group, like an out-group, can cause that person to go deeper into their beliefs or actions. So let's say that somebody identifies as Republican and they say something to the tune of, immigrants should go back to where they came from. You're not welcome here. If a Democrat yells at them, you alt-right racist pig, I can't believe you elected Trump. Well, that sort of language, obviously loaded with shame, is not likely to get them to do anything. <laughs> except reaffirm their existing stance. The progressive liberal politics has made society run wild. But if you are shamed by someone who is part of your in-group, so in this example, it would be another Republican, then the initial person might actually change their behavior. So someone who says, in this community, we believe in freedom, but also Christian values like compassion. We don't approve of this sort of hateful language toward other groups. Well, that's likely to be more effective in getting someone to change their mind. However, it's worth noting that if the person does change their behavior, they might be doing it so that they could be seen to be a good person by their community, 
not necessarily because they intrinsically want to be a better person. So when it comes to nudging folks in more appropriate or conscious forms of communication, it's worth considering how to do it in a way that feels constructive and not just a blanket of shame. In the same way, I think we should be cautious when using the word racist to describe a person. It's a super powerful way to illustrate behavior, but it's more useful to say, hey, that joke feels racist, or that remark might be seen as racist, rather than you're racist, or he's racist. When we label people that way, especially if they know that, it creates shame, and shame should be used delicately. Now, I'm not a parent, but I've heard advice to parents before about being cautious when using adjectives towards your children. So naturally, it's good to encourage kids in general, but it's often best to do it by focusing on their actions rather than descriptions of children. So for example, if a kid does well on a test, rather than saying, you're smart, the parent should say, you worked hard. So it's still giving them positive feedback and validation, but more importantly, it doesn't focus on a specific adjective or characteristic of that child the way that your smart does. Smart there is the adjective that describes a child. If the child hears you're smart, then they might think it's an inherent characteristic of themselves and that they don't need to do any more work in life, but rather just coast through on their smartness. But if you say to the kid, you worked hard, you let them subtly know that they benefited and excelled because of the effort that they put in, rather than it simply being an inherent characteristic of themselves. Now, one of the biggest differences of English, as opposed to some of the Romance languages and others, is that our adjectives come before the noun. In many other languages, the adjective comes after the noun, which I imagine could change how it's perceived. So in Spanish, la pelota roja means the ball, red. So first, we say the noun, what that thing is, pelota, or ball. And then we add the qualifier, or the adjective, which is roja, or red. So the primary thing is the noun, and then the adjective is extra color, pun intended. So I'm wondering if the semantics of the English language make it more inflaming. The fact that you first hear the qualifier before the noun draws extra attention to that thing. Have you ever been surprised when someone was triggered by something that was said? And do you remember exactly what was said? What part of speech was that trigger word? <laughs> 